So um, one other thing I wanted to tell you, um, before service today, the worship team gathered, and, you know, they pray for you. Do you realize that when you were trying to finish your hairdo or um, get the coffee before you got out the door, and maybe um, you and somebody in the front seat, and you kind of had a few words with each other, whatever, all that stuff's going on on Sunday because hell does not want you here. There was a small group of people that gathered up in a little circle and started praying for you. And I think the Lord spoke um, prophetically in, in wanting you to know wanting every one of you to know that there is a warm and inviting place here for you. So if anybody has come here and you go, ah, I just don't know if I fit in, we got to figure that out, but I want you to know the Lord is happy that you're in his house and you need to feel warm and accepted and loved on. God, thank you for the tender ways that you supernaturally intervene. God, if there is a soul here that would be questioning their acceptance in the, in the Lord's house, Lord, we ask for you to supernaturally right now to comfort there and to just confirm in their soul that they're right where you want them to be. We thank you for visiting us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Proverbs. Today's the second. So we get one out of Proverbs 2, and I pick verse 7. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He's a shield to those who walk uprightly. Yeah, that's a good one. I, you know, this is not out of Proverbs, but because I might just possibly step on somebody's toes today, Everybody pull your, pull your feet in so I don't step on your toes, okay? <laughs> I wanted to also read this scripture to you, Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And I'm going to make just a brief comment about this verse. Um, you will notice when I put scriptures up that sometimes I make no uh, reference to what version or translation I'm using. If there's no indication up there, it's always going to be the New King James Version. That's the version that I trust the most in terms of research and authenticity and accuracy. It's not that the other versions are not the inspired Word of God, but different translations have different, um, there are different differences between them. And this particular verse is one that if you have the NIV, you don't get um, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Their, their trans, that translation comes from a different manuscript, and so there are differences, and I'm not going to take a lot of time on that. I'm just going to say this, that, um, that when you see my, my preferred version that I'll put up there will be the New King James, and if sometimes you want to know why, I'll be glad to tell you. But um, So anyway, so much for that. The message uh, that we're going to start on today, and actually we're going to be in a series now for a while on character. I know the Lord has spoken to me about teaching on this, which usually means... No, wait a minute, let me back up. Which always means that the Lord is wanting to shape something in me because I'm usually getting to go through the knot hole first, if you know what that means. And so the Lord is, 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 has put this on my heart, and it's actually been on my heart for a number of months that after the first of the year that we would start doing this. So we're starting off on a series. It's called a Character, Some Assembly Required, which in my mind are the three most feared words in the English language, Some Assembly Required. Um, Lisa and I are doing a little bit of a remodel right now, and we tore down some cabinets in our laundry room, and we're kind of fixing things up. And so I went to Ikea, and I bought some more cabinets. And if you've been to Ikea and never assembled anything from Ikea, um, you get these instructions that there's very little words on there, and if they are, they're not English. And there's these pictures, and if you follow them carefully, everything works out fine. Usually, um, for me, I try to follow it, and then somewhere downstream, I realize that I misunderstood one of the symbols two pages earlier, so I go back. But it eventually works out. Some assembly required. It's, it's Christmas time. Some assembly required. It can be a, quite a challenge. Character. Character is a pretty big deal. It's, it's the thing that 
everybody that I live with, I want to see character in everybody that I, that I have relationship with my family. I want, to see, I want to see character in every person that I do business with. I want it in my friends. I want character everywhere around me. The, the, the problem is that I'm personally not willing to pay the price to gain it. <laughs> and in fact, here's another little truth. Your lack of character bothers me a whole lot more than my lack of character bothers me. Now, that's why talk radio can be such a raging success. You turn on talk radio, and mostly what they talk about are the failures and the character flaws of other people. And it can be extremely entertaining. You can really hear, hear a lot. You can learn a lot when you watch talk radio or listen to talk radio. But, but the thing is that when you turn the radio off, I mean, when I turn it off, I'm never motivated to go out and shape my character more. Nothing wrong with talk radio. I'm just saying it kind of points out this issue, this, this problem that we have, and that is that I think everybody values character. The problem is that we value it more in other people than we do in ourselves. Pull your toes in now. I don't want to step on anybody's toes. So, so your lack of character motivates me to do something about you. It rarely ever motivates me when I see my own lack of character. It rarely am I ever motivated to do something about my own. I think it's human nature. Parents have this figured out. You know, they, they, they know and see the character flaws in their children. They know that their children, they have to put them in. They've got to build them in as they grow up. And a- along the way, they pick up things that you don't want them to pick up, and you've got to refine them. And so parents are pretty good at refining the character of their children. Bosses try to do it with their employees to varying success. People try to do it with their friends. When you do it right with other people, when you, when you help shape somebody else's character right, you're considered a teacher or a trainer or a mentor. It's really good. When you do it wrong, when you, when you do that process wrong, that's, that falls into the category of manipulation and control. It's a fine line, and it's a, hard, it's a hard razor to take a walk down on without getting your toes cut. You know, and if you have great maturity and wisdom, sometimes you can shape the character of those to whom you are submitted. Your bosses, your overseers. It's a little more challenging to do. It, it's, it, it, requires, um, it requires something of maturity and experience sometimes. Uh, sometimes an anointing is required, but it can be done. You can even shape the character of the people to whom you're submitted. That is one of the issues, though, that, that it's so hard sometimes for us to figure out Submit yourself to one another in love. How do we do that when sometimes their character doesn't warrant the trust? It's a legitimate challenge, a legitimate problem. And it can be harder and harder and harder to shape people, let me put it this way, of, of life experience. <laughs> it can be harder to do that because people become more and more independent over time. And there just comes a place or there can just come times and seasons where we just don't want to submit our hearts to the heat of having the heart hammered into shape. So we choose no sometimes to that heat and that difficulty. The Lord calls us to be submitted to each other. And if we choose to be shaped, if we decide to let the Lord do some shaping in our heart, then the required amount of heat comes way down about what has to happen to shape our heart. But the truth is this. Every one of us has our own secret little place. And that little secret place is, you know, if we could kind of see you in your secret little place or you could see Terry in his secret little place where he's just not going to be shaped, you could find me. (laughs) 
and unscrew my head and look, and there'd be this steel rod that goes right down my spine and 47 feet into the earth, right? It's not moving. You know what I'm talking about? You know what I mean? We learned that at an early age. I've told you before um, the story about me when I was a little boy, and I heard a word. I, heard, I said something, and uh, my parents corrected me. <laughs> okay, this was way before our family knew Christ. I'm just going to tell you what, what I said, because I, I think I made reference to the story before. I was a little guy. I was probably four. And I just shouted out, Jesus Christ, you know, not in the worshipful way. And my parents said, you do not talk like that. You go to your room. And I went to my room, and at age four or so, I don't know how old I was, I thought, okay. I went in, and I closed the door, and I went in, and I opened the closet door, and I stepped in the closet, and I closed the closet door, and I just shouted out, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Sounds cute. But there was just something in me, an iron will. Here's the funny thing. I was thinking about this story, though, when I was kind of preparing and praying about today. I wonder if Jesus was showing up because I was calling for him in those moments. That's a rabbit trail for us to go down some other time. But nevertheless, there's this secret place that we go. And there is an iron rod. Some of us is small. Some of us it's broad. And it goes down into the earth. And we're not moving. And we're just not moving. And I... I don't want to go there. I don't want to go to the place of having my character shape. The thing is that I want you to go, but I can't make you go either. I mean, that's human nature. We want, we want to make the people around us go, but we can't make them go. It isn't that we don't value character. It's just that we value it more in other people than we value it in ourselves. And society does that to us a little bit. Society prioritizes. I'm going to talk a little bit about this. Today we're going to be laying some groundwork for where we're going to go over the next number of weeks. But our society prioritizes certain things over character. I'm going to go into a couple of them today. Our society honors achievement and fulfillment over character. So there are some new ethics that we have to deal with as we, as we roam around out there. Achievement is not so important of what you are, but it's important about what you do. Men, this is especially true for us. We, we, uh, we have a tendency, it's true for women too, but maybe this particular topic more for men. We meet someone new, the first question we ask them is, what do you do? I guess there's just something that doesn't feel masculine. I walk up to a friend and I say, hey, how sensitive and loving are you? Glad to meet you. <laughs> you know, you say that to some guy somewhere, you're likely to catch this. You know, it's just not going to happen. So we drop back to what is socially safe territory. What do you do? Now, I guess that's a politically correct question to ask sometimes. And the thing is this. Society, our society really rewards accomplishment. So you wander down the road of life and you come to a point where you have to make a decision and sometimes the decision can fall towards advancement, accomplishment, or character. Now, I can make up an example of this. Maybe one will come to your mind already. Where you've come to a place, a why in the road, and you had to make that decision. And it wasn't so easy for you. When this happens, a brand new ethic emerges and right now becomes defined by progress. The right thing to do in that moment becomes defined by progress. Does it move you forward? The wrong thing would be anything that prevents you from moving forward. That's the ethic I'm talking about. That's the ethic 
that the world glues onto. That's the ethic of the world today. Lots of examples of it. Um, you know, I didn't really have troubles um, in school in terms of passing classes. I, 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 I just would, I, I did fine in school. There was a lot of kids around me who could have done fine, they just didn't want to do the work. Now, listen, I'm not telling you that I was this great student who did the work. I don't know why I slid by easier than I should have. But there were a lot of times when the kids around me wanted to cheat on exams. So you decide whether you're going to let them look at your paper. <laughs> you know, this room should just get still right now because nobody, if you start nodding your head, then you'll know. I know that was going on in your class. <laughs> I shouldn't do that to my friends. Um, so, so you're sitting in class and you have the chance to let somebody look at your paper or to help them somehow pass a test for which they're really not prepared, but they should have been prepared. And you have this relational challenge. If I don't help you, there's going to be this label put upon me and uh, it's going to socially interfere with me. But the truth is, it doesn't help this person in the long run for me just to give them a test answer. It doesn't help me if I cheat. You know, don't you hate that? You only cheat yourself. You know, you remember that when your your teachers would say, it's true. It's true. When you cheat on your exam at school, you're only cheating yourself. Well, the thing is that, that society is becoming more and more pre-installed with cheats. If you're a gamer, you know what that word means. Okay? If you're a gamer, if you like electronic games, there are internet sites you can go to, and they will tell you how to defeat the certain level that you're at on some challenging game, and it will tell you what to do that you couldn't figure out on your own or that you just didn't want to put the time into. Well, that solution is called a cheat and here's the thing about that. It's not that I'm, you know, somehow just this, I want to rage for not cheating on video games. <laughs> it's, it's this. There's this societal approval of a process that says to our young people, who most gamers are young people, says to our young people, if you can't get it there the legitimate way, take a cheating shortcut. Here's how to go about that. There's something there that wants to pollute the building of character. Not that video games are going to build your character. (laughs) I'm not saying that. But there are a lot of electronic ways now that we've learned to short-circuit character. Remember LimeWire or Napster? Some of you don't know what I'm talking about. Napster was a program you could get on the Internet, and you could get virtually any song you wanted to for free download it from somebody else, and there was people, and it was just was easy to get any songs. And eventually it got shut down because basically it was stealing. BitTorrent, your taxes, the way you deal with your employees, the way you deal with your employer, the way you deal with et cetera, et cetera. The opportunity to choose progress over character never goes away. Now, I want to know if I've failed. If I haven't stepped on your toes yet, I need to know so I can make sure I step on everybody's toes here today as I talk about it. There's this new ethic. It says what's right is wrong, and what's wrong is right. Isaiah 5, 5, verses 20 and 21 say this, though. Here's the Lord speaking very clearly about his feelings about this. You call evil good and good evil. You turn darkness into light and light into darkness. You make what is bitter sweet, and what is sweet you make bitter. You are doomed. You think you are wise, so very clever. It's this, this very firm, strong caution of the Lord that says, don't do this. Don't call good evil and evil good, okay? There is this problem that just permeates our society. It says that under this ethic that I'm talking about, people will do whatever it takes to move ahead. Backstabbing, cheating, lying, whatever. 
I know, I know it happens to you at work. I know that you, that you have experiences where not necessarily it prevents you from taking a promotion, but something about peace that could be yours to possess is disrupted because somebody somewhere is doing this about you. Talking, munching, lighting. And somehow your character gets assaulted or your stance for righteousness becomes assaulted because someone else is just challenged by your righteousness. Way to go, by the way, for being noticed for being righteous. I don't want to spend too much time on this topic because this is admittedly a rabbit trail, but I want to just talk about being politically correct. I'm not going to tell you it's wrong to be politically correct because sometimes it's the sensitive and loving and godly approach. There's no sense in just being intentionally up in somebody's grill all the time. So sometimes to be sensitive to someone and, and being politically correct is wise and loving and righteous. Sometimes, though, to cooperate and to be politically correct, it's cover for not speaking the truth in love. It's hard to know when, when, when you're on the wrong side of that particular line. And there re- could be reasons why we don't speak the truth in love. First off, we don't really know how sometimes. A circumstance is so complicated, it's just a real problem. How do I answer this question? Well, that's where the Word tells us to talk to other Christians. It says there's, there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. Talk to people that you love and that you trust. They'll help you know how to, to, to respond in that circumstance. So if you don't know how to speak the truth in love, then don't just blurt out something because you go backwards doing that. You can get some help from other people around you. It's there. But there are other times that we just kind of go for the cover of speaking politically correct because we're afraid. Or sometimes we just want to choose the advancement or the progress over righteousness. So the question um, that that always would lead me to is, is Romans, is laid out in Romans 12 too. Are you going to be like the world or are you going to choose righteousness? Romans 12 two says, don't conform yourself to the standards of this world, but let God transform you inwardly by a complete change of your mind. Then you'll be able to know the will of God, what is good and pleasing to him and is perfect. By the way, that TEV, that's today's English version, in case you're wondering. It's a great version just for reading and for devotions. I tell, I, you know, I get, I get into these conversations with people, and they tell me about these convoluted things that are going on where they work sometimes. And it's just not righteous. And so, you know, the suggestion is, well, maybe you need to change jobs. Now, that's... I'm not telling you to go out here and change your job, by the way. That's, I'm just describing to you discussions I've had with people where I know that their environment is really not righteous for them. Where I, from what they've told me and what they know it's not righteous, and you say, well, maybe it's time just to take the scary step and you, you need to find a new job. And I'll tell you, most of the time, the answer comes back something like this. I don't know where I can go and make the kind of money I make where I am. And I, you know, my viewpoint is, is that they've now become a victim of these circumstances that we're discussing here because they are trapped in income and achievement over righteousness. And there's this conflict. It's hard. It's not easy. So there are the other, the, the other topic I want to talk about is fulfillment. We talked about a little bit about uh, achievement. Let's talk a little bit about f- fulfillment. Um, it's, a, it's a secondary um, ethic that's, that's happened and people all the time will come to a decision well I'd like to do something and I'm going to feel fulfilled if I do it um, what am I going to do I'm at this crossroads at this why and the new morality says this it says if it fulfills you it's moral and anything that stands in the way of your fulfillment or your pleasure is immoral or wrong 
That's what the new ethic says. Because after all, what's life all about except feeling good? Enjoying yourself. What's life all about? That's the thinking that fuels that. And you know that you've, I know you've heard that in one form or another. The problem is that whenever a character takes a backseat to achievement or fulfillment, everything changes. Right becomes wrong, wrong becomes right. And then that affects how you relate to everybody around you. It affects how you relate to your wife, your kids, your bosses, your employees, your friends. It affects everything. Now, in the church, the question comes up like this. But doesn't God want me to be happy? Isn't that the foundation? Isn't that what everything that God is wanting me to do? Isn't, isn't everything about causing me to become happy and fulfilled in life? Isn't that more important than, to God than just doing the right thing? And, of course, the answer is no. No. And it breaks down. It's, 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 it's always going to break down. Every time we decide fulfillment is going to be more important than doing the right thing, it always breaks down, and it breaks down relationally. And here's how it breaks down. Um, I'll give you an example. If you go buy a brand new car today and pop open the hood and pull the engine out of there and start unhooking bolts and so forth, um, you'll find out that there are a lot of pieces in there that get really hot and they work together, but they're made to fit perfectly. If you use it the way it was engineered and take care of it the way it was designed, there will be oil in there, and those pieces will go back and forth together and they'll work very smoothly. Now, if you've got money to burn, go buy the same car. There's a little screw on the bottom of the engine. Undo that screw and all this liquid will come out. It's real slippery. It's called oil. Get it all out of there. Start the car and drive to Spokane, if you can make it. <laughs> okay, you're going to find out that the engine will tear itself apart. The pieces in there will absolutely destroy each other. They'll tear each other up. Character is the oil of relationship. It's the absolute oil of relationship. It allows a man and a woman perfectly suited for each other to stay perfectly suited with each other for their entire life. But if you take that oil out, they'll tear each other up. It's this dilemma. You know, you, you see couples, um, you'll see couples stand at an altar and commit vows and say to each other and look into each other's eyes and say, we're made for each other. We love each other. This is perfect. And then you'll see them, and I encounter them three, five, 10, 15 years later, and now that person they hate more than anybody else in the entire universe. Now, maybe I'm making that in very vivid red as I describe it, but how someone goes from, you are the most perfect person for me, to the person who is just the absolute focus of, of hatred almost, maybe a hatred. What happened was there was no oil in the engine. Somewhere in their character dropped out and spewed on the street and parts that were made to go together perfectly suited for each other began instead to tear each other up. Happens all the time. People who are made for each other minus character destroy each other. Well, 
I think I need to change my colors. I was trying to give you some fresh new colors here. I thought, okay, but is it, can you read that in the back? Joel, can you read that in the back? Barely, Barely okay, all right. People made for each other, minus character, destroy each other. Minus character will destroy each other. So God looks at that and says, hey, I got a solution. What you need to do is raise up the value you place on character more than fulfillment, more than achievement. That's what God says to us. So what I want to say for us as a church, especially as we go forward from here, but not just for the next few weeks while we talk about character, but for us to define as a church family, here's going to be our definition of character. The will to do what is right, regardless of the cost. Now, I'm not asking you to go out the door and turn into a bunch of crazies. The Lord will take us on a journey to do this. Christians, as Christians, we don't quite have the same freedom to determine what's right as the rest of the world. So I'm going to modify that a little bit for us. Okay, our definition is the will to do what is right as God defines right, regardless of the cost. Now, this is going to be harder for some people than it will be for others. Um, I, I'm, I'm not picking on the education system, but I'm going to make a point about the education system. The system has been come down really hard on the issue of absolutes. Our education system in America comes down hard on the issue of absolutes. We're taught that there are no absolutes except the one absolute that there are no absolutes. And so for us to decide that, hey, there's a God somewhere who has a set of rules and he's going to hold me accountable to these rules, but I didn't get to vote on them, evaluate them, choose them, that can, that can make it hard for some people to accept this, this, uh, this concept. For those of us that have that, you know, that quiet iron will that's screwed 47 feet down into the earth and that, you know what I'm talking about, it's going to make this a little bit harder. But I'll say this, that when you run into people who have character, you love it. You love to be around those people because they're so predictable. They're so dependable. They're so trustworthy because you know that they're going to do the right thing and that's all you really care. You really care that they just would do the right thing. So we, I want us to own a couple of truths over the next couple of weeks. One is that there is a standard of right and wrong that stands outside of us. It stands outside of us. We have to come to a place where we have to submit ourselves to rules that we didn't create, edit, choose, or enjoy um, and trust that the, 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 the sovereign God has... Uh, these rules. And second, that, that he holds us accountable. God does hold us accountable to those standards. And along the way, we're going to develop the will to do what's right. And, and by that, I mean not because of the consequences, but just because it's right. Here's what I mean by that. Um, pick a, a man somewhere who is tempted by a woman he meets at work and thinks about having, they think about having a relationship and affair. And he's married, he shouldn't. So he thinks like this. He goes, well, if I do this, and um, the potential downstream is it's going to hurt my wife. My kids are going to not understand. It's going to blow up my family. My boss might not like it. He might fire me. Okay, I'm not going to do it. That's one line of reasoning. A second line of reasoning is, hmm, this woman is attractive, but I'm not going to have a relationship with her because it's wrong. It's just wrong. I made commitments. I'm not going to violate my commitments. That's where the Lord wants to take us. It's that decision process, not the, ooh, the consequences are too, too bad for me. It's, 
I just need to be a person of character and I'm going to do the right thing because it's the right thing. That's where the Lord wants to take us as a church family. And I got you know, I, I, I can't stand here and tell you that this is, this is prophetic, but I'm telling you this is bubbling in my soul. I believe it's because the Lord wants to do something profound through us. I believe that this small handful of people have the potential to turn our region upside down just because you choose to do the right thing. Not because you are the most gifted running back from Alabama. Praise the Lord that the, the Crimson Tide won. Hi, Eric. Yeah. No, sorry, anybody here who's a Michigan friend. Okay. Um, not, not because you're really gifted with what you do. Not because you're the smartest or the most beautiful or you've got the most cattle or you've got any of those kind of things. But because you have character, the Lord will use you. And I, I just really believe that the kind of things that we are going to do it's going to start with things like the women's Bible study. You know, right now, I think there's 25 or 35. I don't know how many women have signed up. It's quite a lot. Proportionately, it's a, a lot. And I think more are signing up as we go. And I, I know what's going to happen in those meetings. I know that women are going to come to those meetings and they're going to develop friendships. They're going to come to those meetings and they're bringing their problems with them. Now, there's going to be this Bible study you work through, too, right? <laughs> okay? That'll be going on too. But I think also that in those small settings, women will come and they'll talk to each other. And the ones who are more mature are going to be shaping those who are learning. And they're going to be changed and they're going to be different. It's that, that's how it's going to happen. It, women's Bible study is, is one of the most things I'm most excited about. There's more stuff like that. I don't know what the Lord's going to bring to us to do here. But this group of people, you, <laughs> you're going to make a difference, a big difference. God just really values um, character because it represents his nature. Now, I, I've come all this time and I haven't even gotten to and said, here's the text for today. That's really unlikely, unlike me. I mean, I know I've given you several scriptures, but usually there's a place that I want to dive in. And there is, and I'm going to spend just a couple minutes on it. Um, and it just happens to be in the book of Proverbs. So uh, you get a double dip today. Proverbs 11, verses 1, and 1 through 3. So I just want to spend just a few minutes on this, and then we're going to wrap this up. Since uh, I've kind of laid the groundwork for why, we're, where we're going with character, I want to just get into it just a little bit. Proverbs 11, verses 1 through 3. The Lord abhors dishonest scales, but accurate weights are his delight. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. Now that's the NIV. That word duplicity actually comes from the Hebrew, uh, yeah, the Hebrew root word, which means perverted. Perversion, corruption, distortion. So let's just unpack that just for a couple minutes. First, uh, the Lord dis- abhors dishonest skills, but accurate awaits are his delight. Honesty, it's the devotion to telling the truth. Here's the problem with that. I actually like dishonest scales. So do you. Okay, so do you. I mean, I hate it when I go to the doctor's office and I got to get on his scales because I know they're right. I've got this $15 version, way better than his $400 version, at home with a carefully installed cheat wheel on the bottom. I like those scales way better. You couldn't tell by looking at me that I even get on the things. Or ladies, come on, let's be fair. Don't you like dishonest dress, dress sizes? Come on, you do, yeah, yeah. I know, you go to a really expensive store and the dress sizes there are so much smaller than they would be at the more common store. I'm on to you, ladies. I know the deal. 
Scales were used in Hebrew times for making purchases, just like when you buy meat by the pound now. Only it was, this, it was actually a, a scale with a lever, and they would have weights, and you would agree to buy something at a certain amount of weight of silver or whatever the coinage would be, and they would put that counterweight on there, and you'd put your coins on, and if that matched, your purchase was done. The scales needed to be honest. The Lord hates it when people cheat using scales like that. And accurate weights are his delight. Humility. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. Humility is the absence of any sense that you're better than other people. Absence of any of that. You know, let's, another way to look at this is through the lenses of God. Humility is when you view yourself and your own accomplishments through the eyes of knowing who you are in relationship to the Lord. Because outside of that lens, we're really, we really can't claim credit for anything. Integrity, which sometimes our society or, or, or we commonly substitute it for the word honesty. It doesn't mean honesty. Integrity is an interesting word. It's actually an engineering word. And since my son happens to be a structural engineer, I asked him, give me a definition of the word integrity. And he couldn't. <laughs> my son could not define it. Okay, so it's like, you know, there were all of these equations and formulas, and the, here's the deal. Here, here's what structural integrity means, and I'm not going to bore you with formulas because I don't know I'm going to get them anyway. But you have a, a building with columns and foundations and footings and beams and connections between all of those elements. And if you put the right size elements in the right locations and the right kind of connections and you do it correctly, the building stands up. The whole building then has integrity. But if it gets shaken, an earthquake comes along and starts pushing things around and something somewhere was substandard, was not quite done right, and the building therefore lacks some integrity, you need to be picking very carefully where you happen to be when the earthquake hits. Because something is missing somewhere and you can't always tell it. That's lacking integrity. I am... Um, I was, I don't know why I was going down the structural engineering, probably because of my relationship with Ben. Um, but I found a definition of integrity, and it was written by the, the chair of the engineering department of Oxford University in England. Okay, pretty hoity-toity guy. 31 words. I'm not going to read it to you. It would bore us all. Then he summarized it. Here's what he says is integrity. The margin between safety and disaster. <laughs> oh man so the integrity of the upright guides them but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity I just want to say to you that you might have most of your columns and your beams properly aligned but if they're not connected correctly you might lack some integrity and that can destroy you you know um I, one of the most common questions that I get as a pastor from people is, how can I know the, the Lord's will? How can I know what God wants me to do in this circumstance? Here's, here's my answer almost all the time. What's the right thing? What do you believe is the right thing to do in those circumstances? What does character say is the right thing? Not what's going to get you what you want, not what's going to be the easiest and most pain-free, but what's the right thing? People of great integrity tend to be good, good decision makers because nine times out of ten, 
The will of God is found just through the pursuit of character. Most of the time, God, what do you want me to do? You just do what character says you should do, and that's the answer most of the time. Truth is that you're not going to make good decisions without character. And you know what? I, <laughs> God really doesn't care what color of a car you pick, right? He doesn't really care. You get to pick that one. He'll be happy with whatever color you decide you want. They'll be just fine. And to those of you who are athletes, you know, this is maybe just Terry's pet peeve. I mean, I think it's really good that we, we offer ourselves before the Lord, before a competition. But I, I, I'm just figuring that every time I pray and say, God, help my team win, there's probably some son or daughter on the other team who's at making the same request. And God's up there going, how am I supposed to please you two? You get it together and come and tell me afterwards or something. <laughs> you know, I, the kinds of things that we take to the Lord, those are not character-making decisions. You know, I think there, there can also be a challenge for people. Um, maybe you know some, and they they, we, don't, we don't see them here, or, or maybe they come infrequently, or maybe they never will come. And they've been running from God their whole life, and so they bear the scars of the experiences that they've had. And now a crisis comes and they want to make a decision and they're seeking God's intervention, but the, the, they don't know or have the character needed to make the right decision. That's when you will shine. That's when you just simply will help them to know the right thing to do and you'll make such a big difference. And here's the thing about all that. You know, I want to just slow down the pace just for this next statement because I want to make sure you hear this. God does not want us to live that way. He doesn't want us to live so that we really have no clue about what he wants us to do. I think he would say to you and to me that um, I, I want you to be wise. I want to build character in you so that all you need to do to make decisions most of the time is just do what you know to be right. For that to happen, some of us have some reprioritizing to do. We've got to decide, you know, am I going to do what's right no matter what or not? And his ultimate design always has to do with helping us conform to the image of his son. What do the people who are absolutely the closest to you say about your character? Please don't answer that question, and please don't feel condemned by that. But if the Holy Spirit would say, you know what, there is an area, I want to show that to you, that's an area of... of I'll tell you, the Lord's done that to me so many times. What would your wife and your sons and your daughter say about you? Right now, I'm up, I've got five children, two by marriage, plus a wife, got close friends. I mean, like you, I've got family who, who could look into my heart and say, you know, this is kind of rough around the edges. In fact, this is pretty sharp and abrasive and selfish. And, you know, sometimes when I think that through and I'm really available to the things of the king, I, I, just, I just know that a tenderness here will oil a relationship. And at times, a lack of tenderness here drains it away. And I just don't want to do that to my kids. I just don't want to do that to my wife. I don't want to do it to my friends. I don't want to do it to my church family. And I don't want you to do it to each other. So, here's my challenge to you. Be a man or a woman characterized. 
That's the end of the sentence. Be a man or a woman characterized. There's no book of the month that's going to fix this. It's a lifelong choice. It's a journey that we're all on. I'm going to toss you, um, toss out a simple prayer for you to remember. Maybe you can add this to your daily or, or, or regular lexicon of prayers. And then I'm going to pray it together and then we're ready for a closing song. Simple prayer. Lord, give me the wisdom to know what's right and the courage to do what's right. Would you read that out loud with me? Lord, give me the wisdom to know what's right and the courage to do what's right. One more time. Lord, give me the wisdom to know what's right and the courage to do what's right. Lord, you, you hear us reading out loud a suggested prayer, but now we make the prayer. God, I know that there is, this room is so full of character. I love this crowd. I love the group of people that we have here. And I know you do too, Lord. Yet I know that you're calling us to not be of this world, to be salt and to be light. So Lord, as you will take us on this journey, especially over the next few weeks, we ask God for the courage, the courage to do what's right. God, I want to also just take just a moment to pray for people present today who um, have come in here and although they like hearing your word and the idea that um, you would be shaping character as good and appealing, they've come into this room with broken hearts. People who've come in today brokenhearted or discouraged or maybe even robbed of hope. I ask for, first off, Lord, for a halting, a halting of the things that hell would do to your kids. That the lies that are being whispered about their worth in your eyes would now be broken in the name of Jesus. And a halting to sicknesses that are, that are hellish in their origins. And in the name of Jesus, I pray, Lord, for a circulating among us of health and wholeness and freedom, God, from sickness. Freedom, God, from sickness, I pray. I, I just, you know, the phrase, God, where it's going around somehow suggests that I just have to wait my turn and take my turn having the flu or sickness or pneumonia. In the name of Jesus, I resist that over me and over us. And I ask God for a breaking of the things that are going around. I ask God for health for people in this room and the church family members that are not here today. I just ask God for your protection over us physically. But most of all, God, I want to talk to you about discouraged hearts, where there would be any quarter for discouraged heart here. In the name of Jesus, Lord, I'd, I just pray for something of encouragement and light in life. Lord, your word is good, and your, the way you look at us is rich. You promises us to us in Jeremiah 29, 11, tell us about the good things you're thinking about our todays, not just now, but for the future, about our future and about our hope. So, Lord, we seize those things. In Jesus' name, amen.